This is the Dave and Shecky Show. We got this groovy podcast for ya. Reviewing crazy tunes or quoting Twain and Sting and Doom. We'll bring ideas to share like bonus points for extra flair. Cause it's the freaking Dave and Shecky Show. Shecky Show, we're bringing you this groovy review. We might preview movies, bake some bread, or drink some smoothies. So come on, have way too much caffeine. You roll up some rivers, I'll reference some Raffi. This is the Dave and Shecky Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Paula Poundstone Show with your host, Emo Phillips. Ew, what about Judy Tenuta? She's not available, she's sane. She is? She We're going to be having uh, just crazy people on this show, and I, Paula Poundstone, I mean, uh, Paula Poundstone will be offering free uh, babysitting. Kid touching. So during this time of the coronavirus, just drop your kids off with Paula Poundstone and they'll be completely safe. People seem to forget that she was a kid toucher, and wasn't she like adopting children or fostering children and then she did kid it all, touching? baby. That Paula Poundstone is up to no good. That's gross. Paula Poundstone. Like, okay. there's some people that I will, if they do something shitty uh, and then they get out of jail for it because they've done their time, I'm like, okay, let me uh, watch as you get, uh, you know, you're going to be scrutinized, you're going to be watched for all time. A kid touching, not one of those things. I don't know what she did or didn't do. I just remember the rumors. It was. Didn't I mean, she shove a drop all up her ass? No, I don't think anybody's ever done that. No, you're supposed to say that was Richard Gere. No, because I don't think that's true. I think Tell that to absurd. the Tibetan monks. I don't think they started the rumor. They love them for it. They're a bunch of hamster lovers. That's... They love uh, hamster and anal. Dave? Welcome to the Hamster and Anal Show. That I'm is, anal. Okay. Anyway, uh, thanks for reminding me. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Middle-Aged Cool Kids Super Terrific Podcast featuring your pals... Don McLean and his 23-year-old girlfriend. I'll be the girlfriend. I'll be Don McLean. Now, come over here and do what you're supposed to do. You know what it is. Ew. You sing backup. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do you think? I don't Wait a know. Second. I'm not Willie Nelson. Oh God! You can't, you can't not tell that joke. Um, hey, this is not what I'm not Willie Nelson. Get it? That was my punchline. Uh-huh. It's been your punchline for a few episodes now. Um, Remember that sign at Live Skit where they I'm not Willie Nelson to everyone. No, me neither. Okay. Oh, was <laughs> your other thing that you've been doing yes. every week? Uh, I didn't do it last oh, week. Maybe for not even the one before. And what happened? What happened? Try migraine. You have a headache? Try new migraine. Uh, this is episode number 71. Episode 71. Uh, and our topic today, Dave. It's years, man. Yeah. It's, re- this oh. show is called Reeling in the Really in the Years. No. It's it, called Really in uh-huh. the Years. No. It is just simply titled. 1966. Read between the lines. This is this one's called Read between the lines, dickhead. Sorry. Uh, why would it be called Read between the lines, dickhead? I don't know, cause that's a big fuck you. Why? I don't know. Fuck you to society, man. You know, like born to ride. I am born to ride. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, I'm born to run. Uh-huh. I'm born to hide. Uh, okay. Born to hide is my song. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we decided to do some years. I thought it would be uh, fun to go through years and uh, talk about the songs, the news stories, the movies, uh, oh, the geez. culture. What? Wait, you said years? Okay, I have to change that. Oh. What did you think I said? I don't know. I haven't come up with a funny line yet. No, not yet since the start of the show, actually. Years. Uh-huh. You, you meant to say years. Oh. Uh-huh. Let me introduce to you to my years. Uh-huh. My little years. Mm-hmm. Is this dog years? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, anyway, so uh, we're going to go with uh, 1966. I had asked Dave to pick a year. Yeah, I yeah, started somewhere. Okay, and did you? Why did you start with 1966? Did it mean uh, something special you know, to 1966 you? 1966 is the beginning of uh, what we might call the modern era of music, in my opinion, because it's right at the turning point, right before the acid took hold. And in 1966, you have some very revolutionary albums coming out. Mm-hmm. Some cuts. Uh-huh. Let me give you one off, off, off the bat. Okay. Hey, Joe. That gun in your hand? Yeah, the okay. uh, Hendrix version. Uh-huh. That was released in December of 1966. All right. Now, think about that. Okay. Think about the sound of what was happening in 1966, and then think, then you think about Hendrix. Mm. In 1966, Hendrix was already playing that song. So you're saying it was quite a takeaway from the normal music of the I, time. I'm saying... Hey, Jimi Hendrix's Hey Joe is a far cry from I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Well, 1966 is where it began. And not only did that happen in 1966, mm-hmm. you have the first Grateful Dead album came out in So music, it was a real change of It's the, the beginning sound. of the change. And this is spawned by stuff like John Coltrane, which is about two years earlier. Like 1964, people started really taking notice of Coltrane. Like uh, my favorite things. Uh-huh. And this is why you have, you know, what the Allman Brothers became. And it all takes seed, but 1966, the change starts, in my, in my opinion. Not to mention you have the Who. What did they do in '66? Just the word the Who. Exactly. I don't know. I can't remember what they did in '66. All right, I'm jumping ahead. You are jumping ahead, but uh, that's fine. It's it's a one of those types of shows. <clears throat> in 1966, the first acid test is conducted at the Fillmore in San Francisco. The acid test is everywhere in this spaceship. Everywhere you are, you're all acid testing and acid tasting. Inside the confines of this interspatial dome, you will find the acid test taking place. I found it, and uh, it's plugged in. There you go, see? Now, can you tell me about the acid test? Was it a test, really, or just a acid party, like a rave? Uh, I don't think it was a test. What, what is a test? There's no such thing as a test. Unless it's a piece of paper that your teacher hands to you. Uh-huh. So it wasn't, it was more like a experiment? There, I don't believe there was anyone in charge who said, mm, let's experiment with all these people. I think that's how it was captured in history. I see. Well, I think these were a bunch of maniacs who stumbled onto some very powerful drugs and uh, started having fun. And at the same time, the Grateful Dead was playing. So are you saying the first acid test was at the Fillmore during the first one of the first uh, Grateful Dead shows? Maybe. 
or maybe, maybe not one of the some first. Some of the earlier Grateful Dead shows for sure. Right. First album, but not first shows. Gotcha. Yeah, the, you know, I'm not sure, but I don't think the, the before the Grateful Dead was electric, they were acoustic, and that was probably acoustic band. That was probably maybe in 1965 they started playing electric i assume when did uh when did dylan play uh newport because that changed everyone is that i don't think that's 66 do you so i think that might be around that time i guess i'd have to look that up uh, but what i'm saying is they went from everyone started going from acoustic to electric basically not everyone but people who were acoustic went electric uh, Grateful Dead probably did that around 1965, I think. They were the Warlocks before the dead. Uh, Dylan was, that was 1965. Exactly. That so in 1965 that happens and then everyone's like, oh shit, okay, well this is clearly the way we're going now. Of course, uh, I believe the backing band for uh, Dylan may have been Paul Butterfield's band. If not, maybe I'm wrong. So they were already... See, people, it's not like everyone was acoustic. Blues was electric since the fucking 1940s. Mm -hmm. People played electric music. It's just uh, people who were revolutionary in the folk scene became uh, electric. And Dylan was such a powerful uh, thing. I mean, Dylan was like Justin Bieber with like, you know, content. You know what I mean? He was like as popular as Justin Bieber was, except he actually had something to say. Uh, the criticism that you've received for more or less leaving folk music for folk rock uh, hasn't seemed to bother you very much. Do you think you'll stick with folk rock, or are you going it's, on into more writing? Uh, I don't play folk rock. What I would you call play, your music? I would call it... Uh, um, I like to think of it more in terms of vision music. It's uh, mathematical music. <coughs> Would you say that the words were more important than the music? Uh, the words are just as important as the music. There would be no music without the words. Which do you do first, ordinarily? Uh, the words. You know what I mean? He influenced everyone. He was, he was a social influencer in 1965. 64, 65, 63, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the Beatles came around and they kind of diluted what Dylan was into. Like the Beatles kind of like took away from folk music and they uh, they put soul music back on the, on the people's list. Well, in May of 1966, we had Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. Well, he'll stone you when you're trying to be so good. They'll stone you just like they said they would They'll stone you when you're trying to go home They'll stone you when you're there all alone But I would not feel so all alone Everybody must get stoned Now that's, in my opinion, the best Bob Dylan album that one actually has a good band, has a good feel to it. I think that's the most cohesive Bob Dylan album, with the exception of You Gotta Serve Somebody, which is actually very good. Uh, Blonde on Blonde is the seventh studio album by American singer-songwriter Bob Dylan, released on June 20th, 1966 by Columbia Records. Uh, recording sessions began in New York in October 1965, with numerous backing musicians, including members of Dylan's live backing band, The Hawks. Now, The Hawks is essentially Ronnie Hawkins' backing band, and The Hawks became the band. That's the band. Right. Rick Danko, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Robbie Robertson, and Levon Helm. Yeah, 1965, 1966 has really started. This is, this is when all this started coming into action. All this kind of music that like, was popular for the past 50 years. The, the classic rock. This is the dawning of classic rock. Yeah. It started out as psychedelic rock, but yes. It started out as folk, folk music and some jazz. Uh -huh. and then it became psychedelic rock. And then it became corporate rock. And it became disco. And then alternative. 
and then it self-imploded. Well, uh, but we're just going to be, uh, you know, 1966. Yeah, well, you know, everything's related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Bob Dylan, that's a cool album. What's some of the songs on there again? Uh, Rainy Day Women, 12 and 35. Pledging My Time, Visions of Johanna. One of Us Must Know Sooner or Later, I Want You, Stuck Inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again, Leopard Skin, Pillbox Hat, Yeah. Just Like a Woman, uh, Most Likely You Go Your Way and I'll Go Mine, Temporary yep. Like Achilles, Absolutely Sweet Marie, Fourth Time Around, Obviously Five Believers, and sad-eyed lady of that's, the lowlands. Sounds like that's uh these are like I don't recall all those songs being on the original album. It's a double album. Original was a double album. Really? It says here, uh critics often rank Blonde on Blonde as one of the greatest albums of all time, combining the expertise of Nashville session musicians with a modernist literary sensibility. The album's songs have been described as operating on a grand scale musically while featuring lyrics one critic called a unique mixture of the visionary and the colloquial. It was one of the first double albums in rock music. All right. Well, I stand corrected. You know what else? I stand erected. Oh, oh just kidding. I'm seriously. Uh, blonde on Blonde. Yep. There you go. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good album. The sure. album peaked at number nine on the Billboard 200 chart in the U.S. Now you might, some people might say there's other albums that are more revolutionary, but that one just has a cohesiveness to it. Where it eventually was certified double platinum, and it reached number three in the U.K. It spawned two singles that were top 20 hits, Rainy Day Women 12 and 35, and I Want You. Huh. Two additional songs, Just Like a Woman and Visions of Johanna, have been named as among Dylan's greatest compositions and were featured in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Times. Yeah, they really love to kiss Dylan's ass. I mean, Why is that? Because it's just so politically correct to be hip to Dylan back in the day. Well, if you were into Dylan, you were cool. Dylan turned the Beatles on the weed. But didn't they also name their magazine after one of his songs? Well, that or the band. Or Muddy no, Waters, depending on where you think it I came from. I don't think from. it was the band at all. I think it was like a Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone magazine. The Rolling Stone gathers no moss. I mean, that's like, a, you know, Muddy Waters coined that phrase. Hi, I'm Kurt Loder. 25 years ago, the first issue of a new bi-weekly, part newspaper, part magazine, hit the stands in San Francisco. It was called Rolling Stone, ostensibly after a song by bluesman Muddy Waters. They just loved Bob Dylan. They couldn't get enough of him. That's why they freaked out when he became a born again. They were like, "Oh God, no! Right, Our but demonic savior has turned on us." You're, but you, you just said yourself that he was that era's Justin Bieber. So everybody was freaking out over him. So it doesn't seem, you yeah. Know, but he was, you know what I mean? Like you think that's only because now there's no one with any substance, right? But they, you, I, I feel like they probably haven't faded much on the the Rolling Stones, the Who, or Beatles either, right? Like they've stuck with those oh, yeah, bands as being staples. Zeppelin. Yeah, uh, Zeppelin slightly less. Really? Yeah, they always liked Zeppelin, but Zeppelin, I could be mistaken, but I feel like bands like Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Grand Funk Railroad, they get a little less respect from these like pseudo-intellectual critics who right. were just a little bit older than the audience that was attracted to those people. This is, see, the audience, the Rolling Stone writers were at the age where Hendrix and Dylan was the shit for them. Mm-hmm. But then bands, the second generation bands of the early 70s come around and they're like, eh, nah, that's not really the same. They're not as good. So bands like Thin Lizzy, you know what I mean? Uh, these early 70s bands, they get a little less respect. And also these early 70s bands that were playing like hard, hard rock music, which then became heavy metal. But these hard rock bands like Grand Funk Railroad got zero respect from the critics. And, uh, yeah. So that's what I think of that. <laughs> well, there you go. So 1966 is uh, it's really uh, uh, an interesting year, but I have a feeling that any year that we do will 
also have a lot of interesting shit in it. Um, yeah. 1966 is the year Richard Speck, uh, serial murderer, Richard Speck, uh, killed eight nurses. Richard Speck is sought tonight for the murder of those eight student nurses in Chicago. Reports of his whereabouts have cropped up all the way from Illinois to Texas, where he's known to have relatives. Speck looks like the man. He fits the description given police by a lone survivor, and his fingerprints have been found in the apartment where the girls were killed. Speck's brother Howard says the news of the hunt for Richard has left him and his wife nervous wrecks, but he says he'll turn Richard in if he shows in Monmouth, Illinois. The object of the police hunt is 25. He has a record, is known as a seaman, a kind of jack of all trades, and he's liberally adorned with tattoos. Doesn't make him a bad person. No, it does. It makes oh, him a sorry. terrible person. He murders eight student nurses in their Chicago dormitory. He, he is arrested on July 17th. What happened to him? He got the death penalty? He is the one that you may uh, recall also started getting boobs. He was trying to transition, I believe. Oh, in, wonderful. Uh, Completely sane human being. Uh, in May of 1996, Chicago television news anchor Bill Curtis received videotapes made at Statesville Correctional Center in 1988 from an anonymous attorney, showing them publicly for the first time before the Illinois State Legislature. Curtis pointed out the explicit scenes of sex, drug use, and money being passed around by prisoners who seemingly had no fear of being caught. In the center was Speck, performing oral sex on another inmate, sharing a large quantity of cocaine with another inmate, parading in silk panties, sporting female-like breasts, allegedly grown using smuggled hormone treatments, and boasting, if they only knew how much fun I was having, they'd turn me loose. The Illinois legislature packed the auditorium to view the two-hour video, but stopped the screening when the tape showed spec performing oral sex on another man. I know. What year did he die? Uh, he died in 91. It says, yeah. from behind the camera, a prisoner asked Speck if he had killed the nurses. Speck responded, sure I did. When asked why, Speck shrugged and jokingly said, it just wasn't their night. Asked how he felt about himself in the years since, he said, like I always felt, had no feeling. If you're asking me if I felt sorry, no. He also described in detail the experience of strangling someone. It's not like TV. It takes over three minutes, and you have to have a lot of strength. Excellent. Fuck that I'll guy. take a note of that. That is, he's gross. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to really love all of those true crime books. Uh, I think Anne Rule wrote tons of them, and I would devour them. And then, you know what happened? I read too many, and I became fucking freaked out by just the amount of these books and the amount of totally insane people there are out there and the really awful things they are willing to do to others. Well, when I was a kid, I was a, we were playing music around the city, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, me and my other friend would uh, often run into this cat named uh, Dave Insurgent. Dave Insurgent, rather. Oh. Insurgent. Insurgent, Dave wasn't ins his last name? No, but he was known as Dave Insurgent. I see. Now, he was a white dude with dreads. Okay. Uh, he, I believe, yeah, he was the lead singer for Reagan Youth. Watch out, dude. was a big punk band in the early 80s. Of course, once Reagan was out of office, they kind of lost their flair. The thing was, Dave uh, was a heroin addict. And his girlfriend may have been a heroin addict too, but she was a prostitute. 
and she would turn tricks to serve to feed their habit or his habit. She supported them. But one day, she went missing, and she never came back. Oh boy! And it turned out she was killed by a serial killer by the name of should say there very very well known case that serial killer Joel Rifkin Joel Rifkin there you go Uh, Joel Rifkin is an American serial killer who was sentenced to 203 years in prison for the murders of nine women between 1989 and 1993. He may have killed this chick and eaten her. I'm not sure about that He is believed to have killed up to 17 victims between 89 and 93 in New York City and on Long Island. Yeah. Um, Hold on, please. Uh, on June 24, 1993, Rubenstein and Bresciani were waiting on Allen Street when a familiar customer pulled up in a Mazda pickup truck. Rubenstein was Dave Insurgent. Yes. Tiffany got in, telling Rubenstein that she would return in 20 minutes, and she never came back. Rubenstein called the police with a description of the truck and went to the club where Tiffany danced and all the hospital emergency rooms in the city searching for Tiffany. A few days later, on June 28th, two New York state troopers were patrolling Long Island's Southern State Parkway when they pulled over the truck after a high-speed chase, finding Bresciani's decaying body in the back. They arrested the driver, Joel Rifkin, one of Long Island's most infamous serial killers, who was later linked to numerous prostitutes. So because of him, because of Dave Insurgent, they caught him. They caught him because of him. It's absolutely true. He knew that he saw he was there. He saw the truck. He probably knew the plate number. Um, And uh, wow, that's amazing. This dude was a nice guy too. I remember every time you but we would bump into him, he was friendly because my other friend knew him on a on a name to name basis. Ari Ari knew him, but he was always very friendly and. I was just impressed that he was the lead singer of that band because they were small, but on the other hand, they were actually pretty fucking popular. So listen to this. I just want to, I just want to tell you the timeline. Yeah. June 24th, his girlfriend, Tiffany, gets in that truck. Yeah. Missing. He, after 20 minutes, he knows she's not coming back or he knows that there's a problem. He tells the cops. June 28th, they find her. June 30th, his mother dies in a freak accident after being run over by a vehicle driven by his father. July 3rd, he commits suicide. There you go. So we're talking a a nine-day span of overwhelming shit that this poor dude went through. Who's left? Just the father. Uh, It says, depressed and alone after the unexpected loss of his girlfriend and his mother, he headed into a downward spiral. And uh, committed suicide. Doesn't say anything about his dad. I'm sure his father was. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That, that's it's it's that's beyond crazy. That's tragic. That is real tragedy. It's just crazy to me that, on a personal note, because everything matters if it ties to you. Mm. Uh, it's just crazy that I knew this person and I was in the same not music scene but the same circles, like to, enough to run into him on several several different occasions. Uh, I mean, this is uh, basically anyone in New York City, if they had been careless and gotten on the wrong path, could have ended up in the same situation. Absolutely. So as cool as you think it was, it's also never know how dangerous it is. Then again, I wasn't a young woman selling myself. Yeah. Then again, you know, there's plenty of situations that could have happened. I, was, I bought plenty of drugs in odd locations. In bad, yeah. But let's get back to 1966 because... I didn't uh, buy any drugs in 1966. No. Thankfully, you did not. But that was an interesting diversion from our topic. Um, In 1966, it happens to also be the the year that The Doors' first album comes out.
the doors. You do? No, just kidding. Why would you say that then? Because I'm I'm a I'm a what's it called? I'm a contrarian. Oh. Now hold on. The doors. Mm-hmm. Isn't that uh isn't that, that kooky band that met in Santa Monica on the beach? No, but seriously. What is uh what's on I, their first album? Just can't, I can't stand you was sometimes. Was it Love Her Madly? Light my fire. Riders on the storm. Speaking of serial killers, that song's about uh, serial killers. Riders on the storm. That ties into my previous story. Uh, the Doors' first album, called The Doors, has uh, quite a few hits on it. Uh, Break on through to the other side. Soul Kitchen. The Crystal Ship. 20th Century Fox. Wow, wait a second. This is all 1966? 66. Wow. The yeah, Doors were kind of on a whole other plane. Oh, it was recorded in 66, but released four days into 67. But we've already talked about it, so... I'm going to give it a pass. I'm going to give it a pass because we're already here. Uh, break on through to the other side. Soul Kitchen, The Crystal Ship, 20th Century Fox, Alabama Song, Whiskey Bar, Light My Fire, Backdoor Man, I Looked at You, End of the Night, Take It As It Comes, and The End. Yeah, I've listened to that stuff uh, over and over again. You're telling me he, some, he, this uh, is the end is from 1966? That dude was demented. It's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. I don't know. The Doors are like, what an odd group. They're just so fucking bizarre. Yeah. They, uh, they're they not a normal rock band. It's, it's completely ridiculous to think they're, they're not the same genre as, as the Grateful Dead. Nope. I mean, what the fuck? Or, or any band. Hendrix is not the same. That's The Doors is like... It's like Tom Jones who in America or something. It's like a, a, a college fraternity jock crossed with Tom Jones. It's some sort of weirdo, like, Adams Family band backing them up. I mean, what an obscure, weird band. Yeah, if, but... If Jim Morrison hadn't been so attractive, they would have never made it. Never. You think so? If Jim so? Morrison was ugly, that band would have seen the light of day. Fuck no. That shit is weird, man. Too weird. And and there's some ugly motherfuckers except for Jim in the band. I guess I never really, uh, I never, I guess, I, you know, I didn't really look past him as far as good looking. You don't get much better looking than him, but I'm looking at these other guys. They're all right. They're not, they're not, uh, you know, I've seen some strange looking dudes. <laughs> they, combined with their music, that weird organ. I don't think so, man. I don't think that band would have gone any. Look, they wouldn't have gone anywhere without him. They didn't go anywhere without him afterwards. I mean, even their first album, it's it's mostly his big face and those guys in the background. I mean, look, he's a good-looking guy, and he has some insane lyrics, and he, is, you know, he's a poet, right? Yeah, he's unique for sure. I, I don't mind him. Some people think he's out of his mind. I mean... I think that if you, I mean... I guess if he wasn't too drunk, he was good. When he wasn't too drunk, he was probably good. I, I feel like he was, you know, one of those tortured souls. Yeah, it says recorded between August 29th and September 23rd, 1966 at Sunset Sound Records in yeah, Hollywood, shit, California. Shit was happening in 1966. Yeah. Now, acid was legal in 1966. Well, that's until, why they had the acid test. So when? Maybe the end of 66? I think, yeah, I think that, I think it came and went pretty quick as far as the legalization. They, they, they decided pretty quickly that that was not. Uh, that Dragnet episode really captures all that. 66 seems to be um, an interesting year for not only music. But clearly music is a big deal. But uh, television shows. Man. We've got uh, Batman. Holy Guadal Canal, Batman. What now? What now? Why, everything's new as Batman and Robin battle crime with a battery of wonderful new bat innovation. Be with Batman and Robin in color, of course, on ABC. When did that premiere? 1966. Well, there you go. Uh, the monkeys. 
and they're the monkeys. Take the wildest ride of your life with the world's zaniest string quartet. Swing with the monkeys at 7.30, 6.30 Central Time. Uh, really? Yeah. And Star Trek. Star Trek, rocketing in on NBC Week. The first adult space adventure blasts off Thursday, September 15th. In March of 1966, in an interview published in the London Evening Standard, John Lennon comments, we're more popular than Jesus now. Oh, geez. Sparking a controversy in the United States. Oh, God. Uh, in August of 1966, they hold a press conference in Chicago where John Lennon apologizes for saying his more popular than Jesus remark. I didn't mean it as a lousy anti-religious thing. Seems like a sorry, not sorry. Seems oh. like a sorry, not sorry. Uh, and uh, He was just telling it like it is. It's not like he said he, he didn't say Jesus is terrible and we're the savior. No. He just said right now we are more. He just basically said that y'all be... Uh, you know, be uh, doing what's it called? I don't know what you you're saying be, uh, at the time. I'm not sure. Something about false idols. Oh. Uh. Anyway, so that's that's uh, that's what I wanted to get to. They're this worshiping is... false idols. Mm. He was mm. just commenting on a, on a on a trend. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. Look at uh, you. You got your Cardi B's and your Nicki Minaj's, and it's it's much worse now, right? Cardi B and Nicki Minaj's. Nicki Minaj's. Nicki, Nicki Minaj's. I have Nicki Minaj's. I'm just saying that they're, they're still, the false idols are still out there, and I, they get more outlandish and more outlandish, and uh, it's a little crazy. They get, because they're more outlandish, and they're not in any way talented. Well, tell me something. What was happening politically? Oh, we got the Vietnam War. Oh, I love that war. North Vietnam's President Ho Chi Minh told the world tonight that he's not ready for peace and is ordering the partial mobilization of reserve officers and rear guard forces. The Red Leader said his people will fight on in spite of American bombings. No mention of any trial of those captured American airmen. U.S. officials had warned North Vietnam earlier of the probable dire consequences of any such trials. In the war itself, American Marines and Vietnamese government forces are engaged with enemy units just below the North Vietnam border, and Viet Cong terrorists have been active again with a bomb attack in Hue, another at a bus station in Cam Ki, north of Saigon. In that attack, four civilians were killed, 15 others wounded. A third attack later reported in the Chinese sector of Saigon itself, a grenade attack that wounded seven civilians. Were they burning bras yet? Uh, I don't... Wake I don't. me when they burn the bras. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, Vietnam War is big. It's, it's you know... Uh, Lyndon Johnson sends even more people yeah, into happened? war. Uh, and more people are... You know, you know what? It's, it's this... Look, you can protest, but... No one listens to your protests. They don't listen in the, the Vietnam War. They don't listen for the nukes. Uh, they certainly didn't listen when they were going to bomb uh, Iraq in, what was it, 2003 or whenever that shit started going on. Protest all you want. They don't listen. They don't listen. You're only making yourself feel better for an hour or two. In the end, they don't give a shit. Unless you're out there... Uh, you know, with an, an armed revolution, they're just going to ignore you. Is my is my guess. Uh, yeah, Vietnam War seems to be the the only big thing. Uh, demonstrations held across the United States. Um, the Church of Satan is formed by I love that church by Anton Xander Lavey in San Francisco. Now you call yourself a satanic priest? Yes. Is that the opposite of God? No, because Satan is a god, too. Mm -hmm. Well, what are you, then, the, uh, the dirty pope, or what? Oh, I guess you could call me that, if you want to say the black pope, or the dirty pope, or the, the uh, advocate of, for example, the kingdom of 
night or darkness. No one's ever come forth so far and spoken up for the devil. Everybody that's made rules and regulations concerning the devil or the devil's work, the devil's activities have been people that have been very righteous people. What a weird, what a weird thing the Church of Satan was because then you had, you had very famous people wanting to be seen with him. It was really odd. Sammy, Sammy Davis. Sammy Davis is in the picture with him. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, LeVay attracted a number of celebrities to join his church, most notably Sammy Davis Jr. and Jane Mansfield. Hey now. Well, Le- you can see what happened to one of them. LeVay also established branches of the church known as grottos in various parts of the United States. These included the Babylon Grotto in Detroit. The St- I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, the Stygian Grotto in Dayton, and the Lilith Grotto in New York City. The Church of Satan was the subject of a number of books, magazines, and newspaper articles during the 60s and 70s. It is also the subject of a documentary, Satanists. LeVay appeared in Kenneth Anger's film Invocation of My Demon Brother, acted as a technical advisor on The Devil's Reign, which starred Ernest Borgnine, William Shatner, and introduced John Travolta. Fucking weirdos. Yeah, and in the 70s, I wanted to have a disco called the Church of Satin. Okay? Oh. We were all going to be dressed in satin shorts, rubbing up against each other, you know, spreading the AIDS. Oh, I had, a, I had a, one of those satin jackets. I like the satin jackets. Satin jacket? Mm-hmm. I sat in a puddle once. They, oh, boy. They had, like, satin baseball-looking jackets, I think. You would yes, wear them exactly when you went to the about. roller rink. They had those, like, if you were a cast member on Broadway, you would have one of those. They <laughs> died of AIDS. Stop it. Not everyone Sorry. died of AIDS. Yes, now, now they have a cure for AIDS. Now, 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 now given a choice, you'd rather have AIDS. It's corona or AIDS, you choose. I think people will take AIDS. That's how bad the corona is. Well, that's how good AIDS is. You choose. You want to take any guess as to what the most the, the Oscar-winning movie of 1966 was? Uh, yeah, that was going to be... Uh, uh, 1966. Best picture. Oscar winner. Who is it? Uh, John Wayne. John Wayne. I don't know a movie called John Wayne, David. Who is it? John Wayne, True Grit. 1966 Best Picture. Do you want me to tell you the nominees? The Best Picture, Across the River Kwai. A Thousand Clowns, Ship of Fools, Dr. Zhivago. That's the one. Darling, and The Sound of Music. Oh, The Sound of Music. Is your Oscar winner. That is correct, sir. have sung for a thousand years. The hills are alive with the sound of Nazis. You know, it's interesting. There's uh, the sound of music. Uh, did not win best song, I don't think. I like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> All right. Well, what year was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Uh, sound. Ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> okay, I don't know. What is wrong with you? Why are you saying it like you're James Bu- James Brown? I was thinking more Steve Harvey, but thank you. <laughs> Steve Harvey? Does he talk like that? I guess I don't know much about Steve Harvey. You just, he t- you spread your teeth wide and think of Steve Harvey. Oh. Bang, bang. Okay, well, that was not a winner. Uh, music scoring of music adaptation or treatment, Sound of Music 1. And uh, original score, Dr. Zhivago won. Now, uh, who's in that? Dr. Zhivago? Yeah. Uh, no. uh, that sounds like a weird one. I, you know, well, the, what I was about to say is that I went on to look at the trailers for some of these other uh, movies because, mm-hmm. quite frankly, I had not heard of some of these movies. I think trailers were somewhat artsy back in that time. 
Dr. Zhivago looks like a terrible movie from the trailer. Now, from the most widely acclaimed novel of our generation, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents David Lean's film of Boris Pasternak's Dr. Zhivago. The spectacle of armies changing history. The epic of a grand romantic age giving way to a new and violent order. The drama of young lovers. Far from the bitter guns of war. No, it's like a comedy World War II. Oh, I don't see. I, I don't World even War know what one. it is. It's just, a, it's, he's a doctor. There's more. It looks terrible and it should feel terrible. Um, I did not, you know, because I looked, I wanted to see, well, what is this, this trailer? What, you know. What did it win for? Score? Dr. Zhivago got 10 nominations and five wins. It won uh, for art direction, cinematography, music, costume, and writing, the screenplay. Uh, You know what's also weird about 1966? They had these, like, best actress, best actor in, like, color and black and white. Really? Yeah. They had two different... different, Things, I guess. I guess people were still making black and white movies, and I they didn't weren't sure if this color thing was going to uh, really catch on. The talkies. Yeah, seriously. So, um, Dr. Zhivago, five out of ten. And then the other thing I saw was Darling, and I looked at a uh, that's a black and white one, and it's got Julie Christie. Julie Christie won for Darling. Julie Andrews did not win. Darling, that sounds like it was a Broadway play or something. No, it's well, you know what? You would know better than me, but it's a black and white movie um, set over in England. She's like, a, uh, I want to say party girl, you know, just always kind of on the hustle for the next bigger thing, yeah. the next, the next better husband or whatever. I don't know. From what I could see in the in the uh, in the trailer. It just seems like it's uh you know, a little a little weird and a little depressing yeah. and uh not you know, shit doesn't shit doesn't end up well for you if you live this kind of lifestyle is basically what they're trying to say there. But it was uh, interesting to see that Julie I mean, you know, here it is all these years later, Darling is winning five Oscar or just or three Oscars and Zhivago's winning and we've got Sound of Music and it's not winning everything you thought it should. It's crazy. And there's, you know, other movies where you you, you haven't even, like, Best Actor. The guy in uh, Sound of Music, not even in, not even in uh, contention here. What was Walter Matthau in in 1966? I don't know. Because. You think he should have won no matter what? I think he might have been the next guy who should have won. They just never did comedies, though, did they? Well, I was going to say, Lee Marvin won for Cat Ballou. I believe that's a comedy, right? Is that Jane Fonda? Yeah. She's Cat Ballou. But I don't think she was nominated. She needed the money. Oh, boy. Yeah, she wasn't nominated for Cat Ballou, but Lee Marvin won for Cat Ballou, and Martin Balsam won supporting role for A Thousand Clowns, another movie I've never heard of before. Him and James Wood should have formed a team. Balsam and Woods? Balsam Wood Productions. Oh, I see. What Bam! Saying. We can make some airplanes. Little toy airplanes. Hmm. Fly them around there. Balsam. But seriously... So, let's move back to music for just a bit because you were talking about how 
music changed everything, right? Or how the music of the time changed everything going forward, right? So, yeah, what do you got going here? So, what do you think the top song of of 1966 was? Uh, uh, up, up and away in my beautiful red balloon. You know what I'll do? I'll do you the top 10 of uh, 1966. Wait, that's not in there. I'll give you the top 10 of 1966. So the music started to change, but did it, it did not affect this top 10 of 1966. Well, what year was uh, Happy I'm, Together? 1966, number 10, Ballad of the Green Berets. Oh my God, I know that one. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Berets. Now, the person who sang Ballad of the Green Berets was actually a army or or, uh, navy actual guy. Right. Sergeant Barry Sadler or Sadler. And he sings just like this ridiculous baritone, like really patriotic shit with some music with like some patriotic flute fife music behind him. He served as a Green Beret medic, achieving the rank of staff sergeant. In That's the, it. He's a Green Beret. Exactly. He was in the Vietnam War. Yeah, so yeah, well there you go. This is almost like a novel oh, this is like a patriotic novelty song. Interesting. It is not hip, man. Maybe it is hip. Maybe it was hip at the time. I mean listen It's so hip then David Byrne is George Clinton. No, but listen, it was a, you know, war was uh, being waged. Uh, Just listen to it. You see, it ain't hip. We'll test today, but only three win the Green Beret. Back at home, a young wife waits. Her Green Beret has met his fate. He has... It was a time of war. Uh, when people were at war, people tend to be more patriotic. So I could see where a song like this would be popular. I don't know if it would be top ten of the year popular, but I'm I'm it's not a going to song. I'm not going to discount its, it's reasons. It's horrible. Number nine, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Kicks. Yeah, it's an anti-drug song. Kicks keep getting harder to find. Yeah. I don't like that crap. You don't like Paul Revere and the Raiders or that song? Uh, I don't like either. All right. That's part of the British invasion. They should have stayed home. Number eight. Frank Sinatra and Strangers in the Night. Yeah, see, this is... This is the the two worlds colliding right here. Yes, that's what I'm saying. This is 1966. It's not the music. Classic rock just started. Those new... Well, no, I don't understand. Back then, they had FM. I understand, but the new rock was not, it was too new, and it was not, it was not getting into the top 10. It was not making its way in there yet. No. So there's all these songs that we talked about, The Doors and, and uh, Beatles and whatever. All of these songs were, were, were leeching in I, stones, but they weren't cracking that top 10 of the year because we still had that old style happening. That's why I find this very interesting. Number seven, the association and cherish. Number six, Nancy Sinatra and these boots are made for walking. Hal Blaine on drums. Hal Blaine. Now, isn't that something? Is that the only year ever where a father and daughter have a hit with the exception of possibly the same song that they share? Like Natalie Cole and Nat King Cole. I don't know of another year when a father and daughter both have a hit. Uh, that yeah. seems insane to me. Can yeah. you imagine Miley? Oh, what about Miley Cyrus and Billy Ray? I don't know. Billy Ray just had a hit. Maybe Miley also had a hit. That might have just squandered my whole thing. 
No, but it's I, I, I would say that it is very rare. That is a rarity. Oh, what about Pat Boone and Debbie Boone? Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. Exactly, Pat Boone, that's what I'm Boone. All right. That. You light up my life and whatever he did. Number five. Reach out. I'll be there from the four tops. Wow, okay. Yeah, things were totally not psychedelic yet. They have, they're they not being psychedelic yet. It's quite interesting. It's all underground still. That's why it was so cool back then. Number f- Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No. Fuck you. <laughs> no. Number four, the monkeys. The last train to Clarksville. Oh, my God. Okay. That's like TV's version of the, of the Beatles and Bob Dylan. They were very cute, the monkeys. Very well, adorable. They, be? they were hand-picked. But did you see that this is their, in 1966, they, this, that's when their show starts and they have a top ten. I mean, they were on top of the world. Imagine if they were a black group. Okay, like the Jacksons? Yeah, but you wouldn't call the Jacksons the monkeys. <laughs> no, I guess not. You <clears throat> would call them the Jacksons. Imagine if it was a black mon- I, I like to be the guy who went to the auditions, the black guy. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you sing great, but you do know the band is called The Monkeys, don't you? That never like, happened. Okay, I'm leaving now. No one, that did not happen, David. Jimi Hendrix auditioned for The Monkeys and got angry. Uh-huh. He set his guitar on fire. That's where he got that whole thing. Okay. Number three, Jimmy yeah. Ruffin. they told him okay. it wasn't going to be called The Monkeys, but now that you're here. Dave. <laughs> David. That is enough. Jimmy Ruffin. Jimmy Ruffin. Do you know what song he sings? He sounds like he's from The Temptations. What Becomes of the Brokenhearted? Ooh, that's a ballad. Number two. One of my favorite one-hit wonders. Oh. Seasons in the Sun. 96 Tears by Question Mark and the Mysterians. Now that is a very interesting group name. It really is, isn't it? That's better than the Guess Who. I love the Guess Who. I think that's a great name and a great story. Anyway, number one. The number one song for 1966. Mamas and the Papas, California Dreamin'. That signal, that signal is like the turning of like the optimism, man. And that's like when it all started to get dark. And then about a year, the heroin kicks in. And then it's all down here. You know, San Francisco was a nice place until they all became heroin addicts in the 60s. Now look at it. The Beatles' uh, highest charting song that year is We Can Work It Out, number 49. So and the, that is a turning point. That song is a, that song is a civil rights statement. There you go. The Monkees had a much higher charting hit in 1966 than the Beatles. Now, what year did Bob Dylan go to, go to England? Because Bob Dylan goes to England, hangs out with the Beatles, and they all smoke the weed, and the world changes. At least that's how we like to see it in history books. Bob Dylan's Rainy Day Women, 12 and 35, number 74 that year. Exactly. Now, uh... Interesting. Yeah, see, this is very... It is very interesting. What was, uh... What was, uh... Huh. 66, John Coltrane had already went off the deep end. Like Coltrane dies, I think, in 67. Oh, boy. But by 1966, he was playing what became known as free jazz. Uh-huh. He, he sparks... John Coltrane, really... Without Coltrane, maybe someone else would have done it, but that whole thing is like... That's why there's like fusion and 
and Allman Brothers and, and experimental jam music. It's all it comes out of the Coltrane vibe. Coltrane's one Miles and Coltrane are one of some of the first guys to play over over just one chord. And that's you know, rock guys play over one chord. I don't want to be the one to break this to you, but the 1967 top 10 list doesn't look much different than the 66. Yeah, no, I would say 1968 might be when it starts peaking in, or 1969. Quite frankly, when did uh, Purple Haze come out? Purple Haze came out in 67, I think. But still, it's underground. That's underground shit still. 68 is when it starts changing. Yeah, there you go. We get uh, Simon and Garfunkel. It always takes a few years for the shit to become mainstream. You get Cream and you get uh, the Beatles in the top ten. Uh, you get other ones that aren't, you know, that are still kind of on that older, you know, Otis Redding sitting on the back, dock of the bay. But uh, it's starting. Oh it starts to. It's starting to creep in in '68. So we'll we'll save that for another time. Yeah, I mean, the fucking uh, Yardbirds were still around in 66, I think. Uh, so that's fucking Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, and Eric Clapton's origins. It's interesting how it, it, it took a, a while for that to, to, to change. Ugh. Well, there's no... No, no, I was just thinking to myself. Sorry. I was thinking... <laughs> Stop thinking to yourself. I'm thinking uh, the Yardbirds version of uh, Dazed and Confused. Mm-hmm. It's fucking horrible. All right. Well, that's It might fine. be from 1966. Well, was there anything else that was... Uh, you wanted to talk about 1966? Yeah, come on, man. What, 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 what were the hip automobiles in 1966? Ooh, okay. Hold on. You want to hear from Ranker on this? Sure. The Mustang. Number, what? Mustang. The number 10 most popular automobile from 1966 is the Pontiac GTO. Two-door convertible. Number 9, the Pontiac Grand Prix. Huh. That's a good-looking car. Pontiac don't even exist no more. Number 8, the Pontiac Bonneville. Wow. America was thriving. I bet Detroit was happening. Yep. Number seven, the Oldsmobile Toronado. They were making America great again like never before. Number six, the Ford Mustang Fastback. Let me tell you something. There's not going to be a single car that's not American. Am I correct? I don't know. I'm still going through them. Yes, go through them. Number five. The Ford Mustang Coupe. Ooh. That's the classic. When was the Fastback? I like the Fastback. I just said number six. I like my cars like my women. Ugh. Uh, number four. The Ford Mustang Convertible. I like my cars like my women. Ugh. <laughs> number three. Is that something you should say when you're ordering food? Oh, thank you. Thank you for my, uh, my drink. And by the way, I like... <laughs> No, Dave. I I will hope you won't say it again ever in your uh, lifetime. Okay, let me just say this. Your sweater looks nice. All right. Is that bad? Yes, Dave. What if you say it to a man? Then, uh, I don't know. Why don't you try it? What if you say it to a dog? Number three. You know, you're the one who wanted to know about the cars, and I you will, are... I like cars because they're a springboard for insanity. You're a springboard for ins- insanity. Number three. Yes. Ford Galaxy. Okay. How many Fords do we have here? Chevy. Number Calling Chevy. Two. Hello, Chevy. You're fucking up. Number two. The Ford Falcon. Oh, my God. Ford just running the show. Stock and Ford was flying off the shelf. And 1966 number one car. The Chevy Impala. According to Ranker.com. Lincoln Continent. The Ford Fairlane. Oh my God, that sounds like a movie. It certainly does. All right. The Ford Fairlane, 1966. They were buying some dope cars in 1966. There were some really good looking cars in 1966. And I guarantee you the Lincolns and all that other shit, also great looking. Uh... Look at the early 60s are kind of like the, the 50s where the cars were a little big, but they started getting very Batman-esque in mm. the uh, mid-60s. 
and I really one of my favorite eras for the cars really um, is that this 65 66 67 yeah they start to look really uh, really fun and uh, they don't anymore all right so this has been our episode on 1966 David amazing you know what else happened in 1966? Does it have to do with monkeys? Yes. Those darn ice monkeys. You were born. Oh, my God. Uh, listen, everybody. Uh, what uh, song was... Uh, I hate you. What we're, song was I am uh, wrapping the most up important this show. to you back in... Sing- I'm just kidding, just kidding. I wasn't alive in 66 yet. Who would you like to... Okay, goodbye. Uh, anyway, uh, this has been our episode uh, on 1966. I would like to implore you all to stay safe, take care of yourself, take care of everyone, be kind, and uh, just just keep on keeping on out there as best you can as we all are trying to do. Hey, hey, you. Hey, hey, you. Talking to you. You, you know who I'm talking to. That guy, the guy who's hoarding all those stuff. Uh-huh. You, hey, you hoarding that stuff over there in time of emergency. You know what you get? Uh-oh. You get fucked, buddy. Yep. Your karma, instant karma is going to get you. What kind of a lunatic thinks, oh, people are panicking. I'm going to take advantage of the situation. It's, it's and then they assholes. Just, and then they just say, it's in the name of capitalism. Yeah. Oh, is it? It's... It's not. It's it's <laughs> selfish assholery, and uh, you know they will get theirs eventually. May the ghost of Scott Muni come and suck your dick. Oh, that's really quite a punishment. Um, anyway, so it's uh, that's the end of this episode. I'm going to cut it off here before Dave says more terrible things. Uh, we will see you next time, America. Hey, it's the Million Moil March. We got a bunch of rabbis marching, Dave, cutting off penises. I'm cutting the you million off. Million Moyal March. Okay, that's okay. not funny at Man? all. It's disgusting. You've grossed me out. Say Rabbi goodbye. Rabbi Shmuley, coming at you. Ugh. Say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>